On episode 83 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, upping your emotional intelligence with the response chain. How we choose, and it is a choice, how we choose to respond to our key moments is how we improve our emotional intelligence. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. On today's episode, I sit down for part two with Robert Grossman, founder and CEO of Black Diamond Leadership. Check out episode 42 for our first conversation about creating passionate teams. On today's podcast, we talk about using the response chain to deal with stressful workplace moments. We also talk about a recent workshop he put on in Poland with the mostly millennial workforce. And now here's my talk with Robert. So, Robert, welcome back to the podcast. We had you on episode 42 talking about creating passionate teams. Uh, That was a really good episode, reviewed really well. For those who want to not go back and listen right this second, can you kind of give us a quick background on who you are? Thank you, Randy. I'm really excited to be back creating another podcast. I live in Los Angeles, California. I've been a strategic partner with 360 Solutions for over 10 years. And my, my specialty is working with small and medium-sized companies to improve employee engagement and performance so that they are driving greater profits to the bottom line. And so kind of tell me about what you specifically work with companies with. A lot of the work that I do with companies is around leadership and communication and emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence seems to be a really hot thing right now. In fact, I was in Krakow, Poland last month leading a two-day session on emotional intelligence and communication for a leadership team of a high technology company. Oh, that's got to be interesting. So tell me, how is that different from uh, other companies you've worked with here in the States? It wasn't that different other than it was a distributed workforce. They gather once a year together. Other than that, they all work from their their own countries and homes. Mm. There was probably about uh, 10 different countries and languages represented there Fortunately for me, they all spoke English. <laughs> but what was it was interesting is that they're all the age of millennials right now, and mm. their concerns and wants and desires about being part of a business is identical to millennials in this country. That's very interesting. So they're a distributed workforce. How do you have effective leadership in a situation like that where they don't really see each other face to face or or work, you know, in close proximity. I'm sure they work very closely electronically, but how does that work? Yeah, they seem to be being very successful with it. They have uh, very active Slack channels. Um, They have channels that they're on and channels that their clients are on. And it seems to be working for them. I think the one challenge that that they're having is when they're working with U.S.-based project managers that are more drivers. And being that most of these people are European and Latin, They're very good at what they do. They're very motivated, but they don't necessarily respond to the U.S. managerial side of driving them. Uh, So what is a more European or Latin leadership style that you're seeing? I I don't want to use the term laid back, but it seems to be a little bit more laid back. The people in this particular company, they've chosen to work for this company because of the lifestyle they can have. For example, I heard one guy decided that he wanted to go live in Thailand for six months. So he moved off to Thailand, had his laptop, did a lot of work on the beach. As long as the work gets done, right? As long as the work gets done, (laughs) the CEO does not care where it gets done. 
That's very so, interesting. Uh, I think that that part of their challenge is just responding. Most of their clients are U.S. large U.S. companies, so I think that's one of their challenges: is how do they interact with U.S. companies that are still accustomed to working very traditional hours. Mm-hmm. So I know you want to talk about emotional intelligence. You have a, a webinar coming up about that. But while we're on this topic, I do want to talk about com- some of the differences you've seen with leading millennials versus leading people that are a little bit older. The program that all the strategic partners have access to, the high performance program, seems to be really resonating with millennials, much more so than even older people. So I had an opportunity to discuss this with a group of millennials and the things that they shared with me, what they love about our programs and especially emotional intelligence is they're interested in transparency. They don't want to be put into a corner of an office someplace and told to do their job mm-hmm. when it's not when they don't understand how their role fits into the greater objectives of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also want to know that the company is living, breathing, and eating their mission and vision statements. You know, they don't want that to be put on a wall someplace and forgotten about. So they really like the idea of leading from the balcony and interactive teams and people being able to come together to solve challenges and improve the processes of an organization. I did not get from the millennials that I've spoken to, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but I didn't hear that they expect to come in, you know, on day one and, and be on the executive committee or the executive <laughs> team. They just want to have a voice in the company. So I have people coming to me, older people, my age people, saying, Robert, how do I deal with my millennials? How do I get them to be like like the way that we've been doing business? And without batting an eye, I looked at them and say, You're not gonna you shouldn't try to change the millennials. You need to change the way you organize your organization and your work processes and really focus on becoming high performance. It's really interesting you say that because one of the high performance leadership tenants is that people feel like they have ownership in the business and that they are leaders and, and they're not just cogs in the machine who don't get to know what's going on. They need to fully understand the mission and that gives them a sense of purpose. And that seems to be something that drives a lot of millennials these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is what is most important to them. And I think the sooner traditional business owners realize that and involve people at that level, the sooner they'll see even greater growth in their businesses. Yeah. I don't want to say that the older generation didn't care about that, but it seemed to be like, well, you got to get a job. You got to put your head down. You got to get the work done. And then maybe at some point you'll understand the vision of the company. But millennials today just aren't having that. I think that the older generation really wanted the same thing that millennials want. I wanted it when I was younger and just entering the the workforce, but we didn't feel that we had a right Mm. to step up and ask for it. I was raised by the greatest generation, the Mm. generation that went through World War II and the depression. And so I was always told, you go to work, you get your job, put your head down, work hard, and you'll get promoted over time. So it never even dawned on me when I first entered the workforce for me to say, okay, I want to I want to be part of 
what's happening. I want a voice in the company. Do you think it has to do also with there's kind of a greater variety of companies and you don't hear as much of the company that has employees for 30 years? So a lot of companies are trying to show their best value to the employees to make sure that they stick around and help them with their purpose. Yeah. And I think that it's also we have the next generation of business owners, too. And they're more tuned into a different way of doing business. I think that the, the, the first high-tech boom really changed the way we were doing work. And, and as our access to technology has grown, where we have things like Slack channels and mobile phones, and you don't have to be tied to a desk anymore, uh, it's just snowballed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that if, you're, if you have a great management team that embraces this, then the productivity will go up. That's what I'm seeing out there. Mm-hmm. Even though somebody might be working from the beach in Thailand, they're so engaged in the process, they're compelled to do excellent work and they're compelled to take care of the client and they're compelled to contribute to the overall health and well-being of the organization. I know that the very first time I spoke to one of our strategic partners and they were doing work in a company and they said, man, this company really saw a lot of growth. They saw a lot of their employees finding their purpose and their meaning. Then it became real to me and it made me want to work harder for the company. So I'm guessing that's the same feeling that is trying to be had by um, helping them understand the purpose and the the core values of the company. Exactly. And this is where we run into trouble with the owner or the leadership team of a company. They need to learn to let that letting go of control doesn't mean letting go of their business. And they don't want to let go of that control. They, they have this vision, what a leader looks like, and they're pushing forward. They're living that, that vision. And the way that it gets translated to the workforce is a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. And once there's a lack of trust or there's even the assumption that there's a lack of trust, productivity is going to plummet in organizations made up of millennials and the newer, even the next generation. I like the illustration that Chip uses about lifting a table. So if you get everyone around a table and you lift it up in order to move it, uh, you need to make sure that all sides are, are lifting equally. And if you're one of those owners or leaders or managers that lifts one side too high because you don't have the ability to to delegate, to give control to other people in your organization, you could be affecting the overall mission of the company by tipping the table too far in the opposite direction. Yeah. So I'd love to share a story. Yeah, actually. go for it. When I first joined 360 Solutions as a strategic partner, I still had my event production business running. And it was fascinating to go through the certification process while still managing very large projects. One of the largest meetings I ever produced, I fully embraced our high performance work system model in producing this meeting. And the first thing that I did was that I hired a core team of managers to run this project and I empowered them to run this project and to work together. And my job was to ensure that that the mission and the vision of what we were creating for this meeting was was clearly communicated to my core team of managers. At one point, my technical director asked me if he could hire his own team of people to run the meeting. And that was a big gulp for me because I always <laughs> did the hiring. And I said, yes, if you know how, if you like, if you have a team that you love to work with and you trust, go for it, hire them. Well, the meeting was fantastic, except that in the beginning of the meeting, 
uh, we had all kinds of special effects that were supposed to go off and they worked flawlessly during the rehearsals, but at the beginning of the actual meeting, some of the pyro didn't go off. Mm. Now, only a handful of people knew that there was supposed to be pyro. <laughs> Nonetheless, I knew my client was going to be upset, and I was really mad. But I stayed in the main room until my CEO or the CEO was done with his presentation, and I walked back to where my technical director's desk was in the ballroom, and there I saw my core team huddled together. And as I walked up, I swear to God, I was breathing fire out of my nostrils. One of them turned around and said, Robert, Robert, you're not going to believe this, but we wrote a brand new ending for the meeting. And we even wrote a script for the CEO. And we already got the pyro company to contribute all the pyro for free. And the fire marshal already approved the plans. Wow. That was unbelievable, right? And so when I finally, when I walked outside and, and the CEO of the company came up to me, uh, using some very colorful language, like what happened to our pyro? I said, look, it happened sometimes, but look at what my team created. Mm -hmm. And he read it and he looked at me and he said, we couldn't have created a better ending for this meeting. So that, that was the benefit of creating a high performance team, even though it was a temporary team. We only worked together for about six months. Mm -hmm. And then the meeting was over and the team dissolved. So how do you, in a situation like that, if you're a leader who has trouble giving up control, how do you start that process of really trusting and delegating to the people you're in charge of? One of the ways, this might sound a little self-serving, but one of the ways is to work with an executive coach that specializes in this area. And that, that is one of my, 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 my fortes, is working with owners of companies and CEOs who have a very difficult time giving up trust. And it, it takes a deep exploration about why you don't want to give up trust. I went through that same process you know, when I was going through cert certification. So everybody work with Robert. But in the meantime, for our listeners at home, <laughs> what are some quick tips you can give for somebody who says, you know, that pegged me. I'm totally that kind of leader. I have a team, but I don't fully trust them and I don't delegate enough to them. Sure. So one of the ways is to work on emotional intelligence. Okay. And, and we happen to have a beautiful model in our curriculum that makes, that brings the emotional intelligence process to life or makes it usable, not so theoretical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our model, we start off with what's called a key moment. And a key moment is something that happens that occurs to us that demands a response or is confrontational. So when the CEO begins to give up some control Things might not go exactly perfectly <laughs> right. the first time. Just like your explanation with the pyrotechnics, that's that key moment. You were upset, and uh -huh. they were probably looking at that same key moment thinking, we need to make this better. Right, 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 exactly. So when I work with a CEO, we look at their key moments, and then we start exploring their paradigms or how they view the world. Now, in that situation... The paradigm that I was seeing that event through was that of fear. And the fear was I stepped out on the skinny branches. I took on an event bigger than anything I'd done before, and it failed. Hmm. And I was afraid I was going to get fired, not on the spot because I had to finish the meeting, but that <laughs> would be the last meeting that I would produce for this company. And your reputation as well. And my reputation. And our, our model continues down what we call a response chain. We give it meaning, and we have feelings about it, and then we have behaviors and how we behave either takes us down the road of self-mastery or takes us down the road of survival. 
if we go down the road of survival, it typically sets up more key moments. So we spend a lot of time working on this model. We talk about interrupting strategies. The first thing we have to do, of course, is recognize when we're having a key moment. Mm -hmm. The overriding objective, if you will, is to teach people to hit the pause button. Just for a second, hit the pause button, understand you're having a key moment, and now you enter the moment of choice. So you have these feelings, you have these emotions, and you want to do certain things, but that's the opportunity that we have to really improve our emotional intelligence by choosing a different way of responding to it. And there is nothing more powerful, I think, in a work environment than having its leaders be able to improve their emotional intelligence in such a way that then generates trust and generates communication and generates teamwork. So you're not saying specifically it's valid to get angry. You can say, you know, this does anger me or upsets me, but it's important to take that pause and really evaluate the whole scenario so you know the best way to take care of it. Oh, yeah. In that situation, there was nothing wrong with how I responded. I mean, you know, it was it was a big deal that it didn't work. Right. But I, I had my response. And we talk about having our feelings. I had my feelings about it. If I continued down that path, we would not have generated the results that we did. Because I would have walked back there and I probably would have shut down my team by yelling at them. Mm -hmm. They may have tried to get me to calm down and communicate to me what they're doing. But they could have easily have said, you know, you're yelling at us. We have a great solution. We're done. <laughs> right, we're just going to go finish the, 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 the meeting. Right. We will re react and respond to situations. It's what we do next that really demonstrate our level of emotional intelligence, how we choose, and it is a choice, how we choose to respond to our key moments is how we improve our emotional intelligence. I had to explain this to my nine-year-old this morning because he had a situation where the favorite jacket he wanted to wear had a stain on it, so he couldn't mm -hmm. wear it. And then he, he went out, he was already running behind, he went out to get his bike, and his bike had a flat tire. His whole day is already kind of thrown out of whack, and he had a discipline issue at, at school. And he said, well, I was already angry because of this, and I chose to, to act out because of that. And right. I explained to him, you know what, there are lots of days, I think for most people, they don't want to go to work, or they come into work and they're a little bit upset, but it takes an emotionally mature person to say, I'm not going to let those feelings sabotage my day or what I do next. Right, exactly. And going back to Poland, on day one, we talked about communication and emotional intelligence for them. On day two, we talked about and we did some work on what do you do when your client or one of your colleagues is having a key moment? Mm -hmm. How can you help that person through that by recognizing that, that they're in the middle of a key moment and that they have more intense feelings about what's going on? And so how do you do that? What we came to, and I, again, I, I facilitated day two. It wasn't straight lecture. Right. And so what they, what they came up with, which I thought was, was brilliant, is that to slow things down. If they sense that their client is having a key moment, slow it down. And just ask them what's going on. You know, tell me more about why this isn't working for you. I really want to understand what's going on over there mm -hmm. and get them talking about it. So you can't necessarily, or I didn't, I don't recommend that you try to explain what a key moment is and <laughs> what meaning and feelings, behavior and self mastery. I don't suggest you 
you, you take that approach with somebody who doesn't have the distinctions, but you can at least recognize it and not be triggered. So in other words, Randy, we're having a conversation and I sense that you're having a key moment. What would naturally occur between two human beings is your key moment within trigger a key moment in me and I trigger one in you and communication breaks down and there's no trust and we get off the call and say, ah, God, that guy's a jerk, mm -hmm. right? And so when you improve your emotional intelligence, you're now in a position to be the person that can help push this process through and get the other person moving forward and off of their key moment. It's definitely true that if you're in a situation where one person is is triggered, having a key moment, is angry or frustrated or having any sort of extreme emotion, that if you can be more even keeled on the other side of that, you have a better chance of de-escalating, even in a situation where you feel like maybe you're right and this person's overreacting and then you react to them and kind of mirror their frustrations and then it gets out of control, right? Yeah, you know, Randy, I was flying back from Mexico a couple of years ago and uh, we walked into the, to the terminal where the ticket agents were and I, I realized immediately that there was a problem with the flights because everybody was yelling at the ticket agents. Mm -hmm. People were very upset. That always happens. It always happens, right? <laughs> and we, we waited in line and we got up to the ticket counter. I looked at the woman across the counter and I said, wow, you're having a really rough day, aren't you? And she says, you have no idea what's going <laughs> on. I said, well, I'm really sorry that us, that your passengers are, are treating you guys this way because I, I know that you're doing everything you can do to help us and that a lot of this is just completely out of your control so here's the thing i'm fine um, i'm gonna go stand over there and and when you're ready to work with me I'll, I'll come back and she said one minute senor and she did some typing on her keyboard and all of a sudden i was upgraded to first class on the plane that i was already scheduled on there you go and i had no idea that was going to be the outcome but i think that that one of the ways to think about emotional intelligence. It also goes back to what your core values are. So one of my core values is that I want to leave every single person I interact with a little better off than before I met them. Mm -hmm. And I treated that person like a human being who was committed to helping us. And in return, I got an unexpected gift. The best place to kind of practice building up this emotional maturity where you take time and pause when you feel an extreme emotion is with somebody you trust where you can honestly say like, I'm really upset right now. I'm going to take a second to kind of calm down before we have this discussion. But another easy place to practice would probably be with people like you're talking about people who are stressed out and it's not their fault. And you could just be a little bit nice to them and maybe show them that they don't have to be as stressed out or that not everyone's out to, to be mad at them. <laughs> Yeah, and also recognize that sitting across from you is another human being. You know, that then they, they have their own issues in life. And and even somebody you come across who might seem like they're completely stone-faced, you might be able to find a little crack in that stone and, and make their day better. Mm -hmm. And in turn, I would submit that your day will be better and you'll feel more empowered. So along with yeah. being emotionally mature, I'm sure you know and I'm sure everyone else has had an opportunity or a situation where they work with somebody who, no matter how emotionally mature you are and everyone else is, they tend to fly off the handle, get mad, 
get rude, and it's just no reaching them. How do you work with an employee like that? How do you fix a workplace like that? That is probably one of the more challenging work environments. I think that a lot of us, a lot of the strategic partners, will share the same kind of war story when we walk into an organization and the leadership says the problem is out there with the employees. It's not here in the C-suite. And, and at that point, I will look at them and say, well, then you're going to be wasting money on me because until you embrace high performance, until you embrace trust, until you embrace emotional intelligence, anything we do on the floor, if you will, in the general population will be short-lived. They'll get it, they'll love it, and in a week, it'll be gone because their supervisor will not be managing or leading from high performance. Mm -hmm. So in those situations, what I tend to do is help the employee recognize that it's not about them. It's a leadership style, it's a management style, but I have to walk very delicately because I can't make their leader or supervisor look bad either. Right. I fortify their own emotional intelligence and help them be more empathetic about where their leader or supervisor is coming from. Emotional intelligence seems to be gaining a lot of momentum now, becoming very important in organizations. It is not foo-foo stuff. It's, right. not, it's not something that's not kumbaya. It is, it is real and it will make a tremendous difference in an organization. It will improve performance and will dramatically improve employee engagement. And I'm going to share a statistic that's a little bit alarming. And then, then I'll, I'll come back and, and just shortly address how to improve this. But in 2017, Gallup did a very comprehensive survey of the American workforce and one of the things that they found is that only 33% of the U.S. workforce is actively engaged in their job, 33%. They also compared it to global statistics, and companies outside of the U.S. have a 70% employee engagement. Now, the one way to improve our employee engagement here is through developing leaders and supervisors and ensuring that there is trust and communication. And to get there, you need a high degree of emotional intelligence. I think something else that might help, I feel like when you're a worker bee, you don't really have any say in the overall direction of the company. It's hard for you to feel like you want to engage. And so giving ownership to people and saying, you know, this is a task that I'm putting you fully in charge of. Whatever the outcome is, uh, I want you to take ownership of that will help drive that engagement. Absolutely. And as a leader, you have to tolerate or be willing for them to fail a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, hard, it's your job as a leader to make sure it's not a catastrophic failure right. or anything like that, but they'll, they'll slip. And all those slips are, are learning opportunities. They're just another opportunity for you as a leader to train and develop your employees. With millennials, if they think that they're being trained and developed to do their job better and to be better employees, they will stay with you for a long time. If, you do, if they don't feel that way, they're already looking for the next opportunity where they'll get that. 
Great point. Well, Robert, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to... Uh, There's a couple ways. Number one, my phone number is 818-231-5238. They can send me an email. My email is robert at blackdiamondleadership.com. And then blackdiamondleadership.com is our URL. And you're primarily working with any kind of company, any specific types of companies you work best with? I'm focusing on small and medium-sized companies. I seem to be getting a lot of work in the manufacturing sector. Uh, I also really enjoy professional services and healthcare. And you will travel because you went to Poland. (laughs) I will travel, yes. (laughs) All right, Robert, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I hope everyone learned a little something today. Thank you, Randy. I learned from you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.